0: enjoy the show. Beaming at you from the depths of the internet. This is the Temple of Geek Podcast. Your one stop for all All things things, geek. geek. Welcome to the Temple of Geek Podcast. I'm Daniel and today I have a very special guest with me. Her name is Paloma Figueroa and she's a California-based cosplayer that's wanted to join me for this episode to talk a little bit about Diversity in the geek world. So, without further ado, let me go ahead and introduce you to today's guest, Paloma. Welcome.
1: Hello, fandom family. My name is Paloma, as we mentioned. Uh, and if this was my superhero flashback moment, uh, we'd fade in on a working class Puerto Rican family in the Boogie Down Brooks but we don't want to get that deep because we don't have that much time. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) flash forward. Uh, By day, I am a diversity and inclusion consultant in San Francisco um, with a firm called Ready Set. I work with tech and social change organizations to build stronger, better supported, and more diverse teams. By night, I work extensively in the community. I volunteer, I spend a lot of time Uh, traveling. Mm -hmm. Um, I love looking for unique and unusual experiences all over the world. I spend time with friends, uh, exploring San Francisco. I love food. I love hosting So Bad They're Good movie nights, particularly with Nick Cage movies. And I do this. I love to geek out. I read fanfic. Um, I write. I go to cons. I cosplay. And I love going to midnight showings of comic book movies. So, basically
0: the usual I like how you divided your day up into like you know by day I'm this by night I'm this is do you have an alter ego that you want to share with us
1: I think if I told you I'd have to kill you
0: oh no (laughs) (laughs) well you mentioned you're a cosplayer what what costumes have you created and worn over the years
1: Um, So I live in a city, uh, San Francisco, that is very forgiving and probably very encouraging of dressing up in costume. So um, it's kind of hard to follow the history of when the first time I dressed up as a character. But um, I think that my cosplay origin story really goes back to the early days of SDCC. Uh Um, So my Comic-Con crew and I love Supernatural and... Uh, my friend's husband has this really amazing muscle car so we wanted to do this awesome photo shoot and so last minute we took this late night trip across like Kmart's and malls in San Diego and eventually put together this supernatural group cosplay where I played a female Castiel and I vividly remember constructing this angel blade out of aluminum and like sheer will (laughs) the photo shoot was amazing and it's still one of my favorite to this day but I will never be able to replicate the casquint ever again again. Um, But I did cast a few more times after that, and I've done um, the zombie thing, which I think everybody's done, the related post-apocalyptic kind of war core thing. Um, One year I went as a female Robert Muldoon, Roberta Muldoon, I called her, and I built the Jurassic Park Jeep, which I'm super, super proud of, um, because I'm less of a prop cosplayer and more of a costume cosplayer.
0: How did you build the Jeep?
1: Um there is this race in San Francisco called Beta Breakers, and for that we actually went as Jurassic Park, which was the the, I guess the the what's the word? Oh my gosh, <laughs> it just flew out of my brain. It inspired us to do Jurassic Park at Comic-Con and I built the Jeep like one night out of um, FedEx boxes and I think tempera paint. It was very, very low, uh, It was, it was like probably like the most last minute thing that I've ever done, but it was like, it was like low risk, high reward or high risk, high reward sort of thing. And it's like the best thing I've ever done. It also gave me a lot of space while walking around the con because nobody could get to me, but everybody wanted to take a picture. Yeah.
0: It's your barrier.
1: It is, which is so important when there's like a hundred thousand people, you know, climbing through Comic-Con if you've been to it. Um, (laughs) Uh, the next year, I did this uh, face hugger costume for a group Nostromo cosplay that we did, uh, which I will never do again because you can't find—at least I couldn't find a Nost- like a face hugger costume online. It's it's either like several thousand dollars or just the face hugger on your face. And I wanted to be the face hugger, so I bought this like giant spider costume and then I covered it in flesh-colored duct tape. I nearly had. He- Like, I almost passed out from heat stroke, but I walked around with this free hug sign and people just lost their shiz. Like, they were just like, ah, this is the best thing I've ever seen. So, you know, I think there's a lot that can be said about putting a lot of money into prop costumes, but sometimes simple and, like, do-it-yourself is better.
0: Oh, yeah, Uh, I agree.
1: Yeah. These days I cosplay as superheroes, which, you know, I love to do, but... It's kind of more classic and I cosplay as America Chavez and Peggy Carter as Captain America.
0: That's awesome. Uh, out of all your costumes, do you have a favorite one that you just will keep wearing until the end of time?
1: Um, I like to do something a little bit different every year. Um, I, I, Peggy Carter as Captain America. It, this was the first time out um, at this Comic Con, and so I put a lot of I put a lot more money and effort into putting together that costume. So that one is definitely going to be a mainstay. But actually, the one that I loved and really probably may revisit was that one year I went as Tumblr, the social media site, and that is just like such a deep cut because. I mean, I feel like it's such a nerd thing. And my ride or die girlfriend, Katie, went as the captain of a shipper ship, and sh- and I dressed up in all blue. I had the wig, and I had the navigation buttons cut out and stuck all over my outfit. And I had a bunch of memes. And she had this emergency flotation device that said, "I'll go down with this ship." And I thought I was the funniest person ever. I was yeah. like, "This is fired,"
0: you know? That is like, hilarious.
1: Yeah, we ran into Jane Espenson, a writer and producer who's, like, known for Buffy and Game of Thrones, and she, no joke, spent, like, two minutes laughing. And I thought, this is it. This is, like, the greatest Comic-Con moment I've ever had. Um, And later that night, we were in the line for Hall H, and I remember kind of laying out on the marina floor, which... For those of you who've camped out for Hall H, have had that experience, and I remember someone screaming, "Tumblr is down!" and I was like, "This is it! I've arrived."
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because you're on the floor. That's awesome. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I was like, and the reason that I love that costume is because it's it's just so meta and like accessible. And there's so much competition these days to do this like perfect costuming and just like making everything yourself, and it being like. Comic perfect and I didn't spend a lot of money on it But people got it and through that they kind of got a little bit of what kind of fan I was Mm -hmm. And I kind of think of it as like my mark one of the Iron Man suit made of scraps And it was basically the beginning for me and I think it's gotten better from there, but I guess that's up to everybody else's opinion
0: That's really awesome. Uh, Is there any costume that you? are wanting to build but you might be too intimidated because It might be a little bit complicated to build or it's just you know you don't know how to start it
1: yeah so um i have two answers for that the first is a pretty straightforward kind of answer and that would be hands down like ripley and the power loader i mean she's basically you know peak badass sci-fi female of course i joke I joke with my partner that I want to name our first daughter Ripley like this is a real thing (laughs) I don't think I'm gonna get I'm gonna be allowed to do that but it's a real conversation that has happened but it's just like even Mrs. Weasley gets in a totally different universe and she throws out the get away from her you I don't know if I'm allowed to go ahead me. Okay, <laughs> get away from her. You bitch line at Battle of Hogwarts. It's just this like transcendent power move that resonates. And if you don't cheer for her in that moment, you're just not human. That's and one of I my favorite
0: parts in that movie.
1: Exactly. She. It's not even her. It's not. It's not like her kid in the biological sense, but it's just like her kid. You know, like everybody's. I don't know. I just. It's just a move. You're just like yeah. So I think it would be a dope costume to show up on a con floor with. My second answer is a little bit more serious and addresses, like, something that's, I think, more insidious that we see at cons. Um, and it's less about, like, the intimidation of the build and more the intimidation of my particular build. Mm-hmm. And so, like, my very first comic book love was Jean Grey. Uh-huh. And that's probably somewhat common. I, I don't know how much, but there's not, like, statistics about that. But, you know, she was, like, my entry point into Marvel and the comic book world book world. But I'm 5'2". I'm curvy. And a skin tight, full body spandex bodysuit is probably nothing or something that I couldn't just throw on without spending a significant amount of time hyping myself into. And I'm not saying that it's not like I don't have a ton of self-confidence. I love my body. You know, it's not, it took me kind of a while to noodle around about why I'm hesitant to do that. And I've come to this conclusion at least at this point and con culture can be this like amazing and supportive community and largely a pretty accepting place Mm -hmm. most of the time there's caveats to that but like within any community there are toxic elements that exist and can create like comfortable uncomfortable and unsafe situations for some people and there are people out there who consider themselves gatekeepers of this authentic Greek identity Mm -hmm. and I've seen people suppose fans and fellow community members harass plus size cosplayers because they determined their bodies weren't like comic accurate for a particular character and people who feel absolutely comfortable saying whatever the hell is on their minds about a cosplayer and how that cosplayer chooses to present that character. A
0: human body can be comic accurate. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. It's not even just about size. It could be about their gender or ethnicity or whatever representation they've decided Correct. to bring to that character. And like, I think there are also cosplayers who wear costumes that are more revealing or have been made more, for lack of a better word, sexier. Some cosplayers wear costumes that are more revealing and some like women's costumes in comics, like the physics around it don't actually make sense.
0: No, it which doesn't.
1: Is- <laughs> Which is like, not that's a whole nother conversation. But like, <laughs> if people decide that they want to wear it, whether it's men or women or whomever, um, they should feel like they can do that in a safe environment. But there are people who I've seen get overly solicitous and grabby because they deem that cosplayer is not off limits given what they're wearing. It's a kind of that age old nugget of, well, they're wearing X, so they were asking for it. It's insane to me that we still have to have these conversations And, like, as a woman and as a fangirl, I support whatever choice in how you celebrate your fandom and, like, you should dress in whatever costume or version of a costume that gives you joy and allows you to connect to that character. But, like, it's definitely helped me back in some of my decisions on who I cosplay. And I consider myself a pretty strong, like, opinionated feminist, like, kind of woman who often doesn't let that stuff get in the way. So it's something I have to work on. And I look to other like badass customers or cosplayers who have done a better job in like breaking down barriers and subverting those kind of traditional beauty standards and gender norms. But it's something I got to work on. Can
0: we, can we we go down this rabbit hole just for a second? Yeah. What is it about? Is it a particular costume of dream gray that you don't want to wear? Because you know, she's had multiple over the years
1: true i think the classic like that like i mean i'm thinking you know her marvel girl one is definitely pretty tight
0: and when you say the marvel girl one, you're talking the green dress
1: i think the marvel gun is fine because it's like the skirt yeah it's fine that one's actually probably not as bad though i've seen versions of it where it's just like a crop top and kind of like a mini skirt Mm -hmm. um the one that's like more dark phoenix which is where I kind of entered into her storyline, which is probably where I would want to uh, cosplay, is basically like a full body, correct? You know, spandex bodysuit, and uh, some of the other like like the X Men, you know, the one the yellow one is also the yellow and green one is also pretty tight. So you know, it's not that it's like one of those funny things where. She's totally covered, and yet it's still uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> oh, no. I understand that completely. I mean, I'm a big guy, and I don't like to wear tight clothes. <laughs> you might see something that you don't want to see.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's it's crazy because I, I'm i totally okay with tight clothes. It's just this really weird one thing that I've witnessed, and it's really made an impression. And I, I've cosplayed in um, – as females, versions of male characters. And I've gotten pushback from men about doing that. I've cosplayed as fee- female characters and I've still gotten pushback. <laughs> and it's just like, they're, there's definitely and largely it's not a problem. And people are so supportive and wonderful. It's it's really not, I'm not like, saying that every time I go to a calm, this is a problem. It's just like when you have even one person approaching you, it could really have an effect. And if you don't, if you're struggling with something internally, or have had bad experience, it kind of adds up. And for people who really struggle with that sort of self confidence, it could be really detrimental. And so I'm, it's it's one of those things that I kind of it took me a while to kind of figure that out and I wanted to like talk about it because I don't know if people talk about it enough
0: that's that's true I mean people don't and you know cosplay is supposed to be a celebration of the character and of the culture not you know something used to bash somebody just because they're not screen accurate or, or comic book accurate so I, f- I feel you there and it just sucks that people have to be basically jackasses over, over that type I of stuff
1: this is why we can't have nice things, right? <laughs> well, you,
0: you've you mentioned probably two or three times already that you're a Marvel yeah. junkie. Yeah. What is, is it obvious? It, what is it about Marvel that just gets you excited?
1: Um, So I was introduced to comics and generally sci-fi and fantasy early. My parents are huge nerds, like type two phaser TV remote nerds. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I had no choice of being... The nerd that I am. Um, and many of my fandoms I inherited from them. And I'm super lucky that I had that kind of support and encouragement. It was never a thing that I got bullied for. It was never a weird thing. It was just a cool thing about me, mm-hmm. um, which I know is not common um, for some people. Not at all. Uh, but I it, like comics and Marvel specifically was something that. I could own and be excited about without their opinions or worldview kind of coming into play. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't remember where the first, my first encounter with comic books was, but I like who, someone gave it to me as a gift or I saw it on TV or, or what it was. But I do remember that my first experience with like a major story arc was Jean Grey and Jean Gray's dark Phoenix saga. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember kind of Jean being this like relatively mild manner, likable, nurturing woman and who had this like unfathomable entity kind of Bailey burning through her. She was like this kind of human TARDIS that was much bigger on the inside. And I think like, you know, I think every teenager and especially teenage girl can kind of understand that feeling of being uncontained. And I think it just really resonated for me at that time in my life, mm-hmm. um, which I think now people are like, oh my God, that's so extra, but <laughs> it did. It was kind of an important thing to see someone kind of have that and it be kind of cosmic, and I felt kind of special um, thinking about that on that scale. And I think on top of that, like, thinking about the sto- the way stories were formatted in comic books, I never encountered anything kind of so mythic outside of English lit summer or you know greek plays or you know the pantheons that they would teach you in school um, comics could offer this complex kind of world building story arcs involving like a legion of characters who had their own universes and those stories were spread across the course of our human years and then in some cases their own space and time and it was a relatively new thing for me Mm -hmm. and as a young writer because i consider myself a writer, um, it was fascinating to see how each comic book had its own tone, how each character had their own push towards a resolution of their own arc, and how that cause and effect had actions, you know, of those actions spread across the Marvel universe. I mean, I think ultimately, that's why Marvel and the MCU has been so successful, and why it's been so compelling to me as a viewer. There's just something so interesting about the absolute care and maintenance of a world that's so intricately woven together where like the helicarrier and agents of shield saves the day and Avengers age of Ultron or that, you know, a young Peter Parker was a child Tony Stark saves in the first Iron Man. Like all of these Easter eggs across years, 10 years, you know, for the MCU and it's, like it's all there and you're kind of unpacking it all. Every time you go back, there's something new. It treats fans as if they're inherently intelligent and capable of kind of picking that up. It gives you something to look look for upon a second or third book. Um, and I don't know, that's just the kind of fan that I was. I was big into Lost, you know? Like it was definitely those, it's kind of that that intelligent kind of like fan service that I love, you know? The-
0: well, you brought up the MCU. Do you have a favorite film at the moment? Because I know there's like 27 more getting ready to come out. So, <laughs>
1: oh, you know, I have it. It's hard to pick. Um, I have two. This is going to be a double answer again. Um, there's my first answer would be like my comfort movie, the one that I download on my iPad in case of emergency when I'm flying somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that's which is probably no shocker to anybody. It's like Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to say it right now. I thought the first Captain America movie was garbage. <laughs> I've revised my opinion since. And Chris Evans, if you were listening to this podcast, I love you. It's not you, it is me. But I think it was just he was too much in that movie. He was too earnest. He was too kind, too brave. It came off as
0: too campy. it was campy. the 1940s. It makes sense. I know.
1: I know. I just, I wasn't ready for it. It was, <laughs> you know, we were kind of coming off of, um, I don't remember when the Dark Knight came off, but you know what I mean? Like, superhero movies had moved into this kind of era where they were supposed to be gritty and dark. And then we had this like, you know, we had like Chris Evans. You went Captain Chris America Evans. like,
0: give me the shield. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, I want it, you know, you kind of thought that your superheroes had to be real, you know, and I think that they've really done a good job of kind of doing what Harry Potter did, where you kind of start in this kind of more fantastical, kind of softer, accessible world, and then you add Go dark really layers. fast. <laughs> you add layers. And, like, I think, I don't remember what the rating is, but I know that Captain America Winter Soldier is one of the more popular ones. Um, so, anyway. <laughs> I think for me, the really central piece of that was that I couldn't take Steve Rogers seriously because I thought really that he was kind of a hot mess. I didn't really, I I like couldn't believe him as this like war hero. Like I was just like, this man has not got hit shit together. Like what is happening? Like, how is he this, like, I just couldn't believe it. And then I kind of like, as we moved into Winter Soldier, this kind of love story evolved. Like, I'm not a Steve Bucky shipper, by any means. and But I'm not going to say no if it comes my way. Like, they're both very attractive men. But, like, I think it's really rare to see, like, two relatively, like, competent, dominant kind of alpha types have this kind of, like, epic love story. And not this, like, romantic love story, but, like, this, like, really important, integral love story that... You no, know, bros. It's probably, yeah, it's and it's probably the like the most tangible love story in the MCU. Like, I love
0: it's Maverick and Goose from Top Gun.
1: Yeah, it's like I love <laughs> Tony and Pepper. I love you know a lot of the other couples that the canon couples out mm-hmm. there. I just like I believe that Steve would, and we've seen it that Steve will go to no. There is nothing that Steve would not do for Bucky, and that we see the beginning of that in. The Winter Soldier. And like we see Steve's evolution as this like righteous, shiny war hero to this skeptical, world-weary war commander that eventually becomes the bearded cap, grizzled cap that barely speaks in Infinity War. And because he starts to see like things are not as they seem. America is not this like shiny bastion of freedom and like you know, values that he fought for in the war that, you know, Bucky whom he loves is the fist of Hydra and is like murdered, like God knows how many people. And, you know, like it, it started to have like layers. And I thought that was really interesting to go from Captain America, the first Avenger where things were like pretty black and white Mm -hmm. to this very gray area. And like, he was not, he was like barely survived. Like Cap was like clearly depressed. Bucky went MIA in Italy and he was like, "Okay, hold my beer." And finally picks up the literal mantle of cap and became, you know, the man that we know today. And it was just like the pushing the story forward and I think that as somebody who's like really invested in character development sometimes more than plot, I think that was it was like both. And I think they did a really good job of that. Um, so that's in summary the movie had hella depth. So that's why <laughs> I like that one. Um, my other answer, which again Obvious reasons would be Black Panther. I don't know. And I was on this bandwagon from Civil War and like my friends were just like, "Why are you so insane about this? Take it down a notch." But I I knew this was going to be a cultural watershed moment for a long time. And like I knew it needed to happen and I was so excited about it and I even I wasn't like ready for how the world responded. I am Latina, but I am a light-skinned Latina, so there's a lot of ways that I could see myself in characters on TV growing up, Mm -hmm. but, like, family and friends who are darker-skinned people of color, they didn't have that, Mm -hmm. and, like, the fact that they can get these great characters to emulate and, like, that there was, like, cultural depth to these movies that they love already... Like, when Killmonger said, hey, Auntie to Queen Ramonda?" and, like, Akoya threw her freaking wig during the fight. Like, I was like, we've <laughs> arrived. Like, this is amazing. Like, oh, my God, why is it taking this long? And then it made money, and it proved to studio execs that this is what people want. Like, amazing. And on top of all the rest of it, it's just, like, you have a movie that has mythology, like, similar to kind of, like, the first Thor. Like, I love all that world-building I love the textures and vibrancy. Like they went deep. Like I read an article, like a whole case study about how deep they went into building Wakanda. It's incredible. Like they should teach classes about what they did on that movie set. Like they, this was something they knew they had to do right, and they did it. And so, as like a fan and a writer and somebody who like really appreciates that, like that's, I'm just like so proud of that. And then Killmonger. I mean, Marvel's always had a bit of a villain problem. I love Loki. I think he... It's hard to know if it's the character, if it's Tom Hiddleston or the whole bad boy with, like, the reluctant good guy streak trope. Um, But he's been allowed to be emotional and funny and bad and human and all these things. But, like, Killmonger is, like, the first time where I think we really agreed with the villain. Like, I think they tried to make it that way with... um, Thanos and they failed miserably and trying to get us to like sympathize with him but like Killmonger made a point like Killmonger was largely right in what he was upset about the way he went about it was wrong mm. like he had to be stopped
0: and he convinced was... Black Panther at the end of the movie yeah, that he was right
1: exactly like how often does that happen where he's just like I'm gonna change everything because the villain is right but you still need to stop doing these bad things because that's not the way And I think it was, like, really interesting that it wasn't just this conflict between characters, but this, like, larger debate about whether this isolationist country of Wakanda should have interfered or intervened in, like, this larger story of African and African-American history. It's just, like, you know, like, where have you been hiding this, Marvel? (laughs) Like, who knew? Like, what's going on? And, I mean, the writing was so amazing. And I just think that that was, like, we needed it. It was important. It was done well. And it's just like, it's not a movie that I will watch like when I'm homesick all the time, but it's definitely something that I'm super like excited about and I can't wait to see what else they're working on and it's the future. So that was my long winded answer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when you and I started talking before we prepped this episode, one of the things that kind of stuck out to me was uh, you said that you wrote fan fiction to earth Two many years ago. <laughs> First of all, why? Heard. Secondly, <laughs> do you still write fanfiction?
1: Oh, man. Uh, that was like a Vatican-level confession. <laughs> uh, oh. honestly, yeah, right? Uh, who knows? Honestly, I couldn't tell you right now why I wrote fanfic. I tried to watch Earth 2 when it was on Netflix or some streaming service. It's not good. No. I mean, it was. it's not good. Let's no. just be real. For whatever reason, I was just all about it. But, yeah, I wrote fanfic in this, like, composition notebook um, because, honestly, like, when I think about this question, it's, like, not the important question here because I think, for me, I've been such a huge proponent of using fanfic and, like, transformative works, as Mm -hmm. people call them, to explore worlds that haven't quite been representative for you as you've wanted them to be like Mm -hmm. fanfic is so healthy in the ways to like for for burgeoning writers to test out new skills for especially with an active and enthusiastic audience who are ready to give you feedback like i've read stuff that's transcendent whatever particular area they're playing in like i'm not talking about like 50 shades sort of stuff that you know can be packaged and monetized. I mean, obviously there's a place for that. There's nothing wrong with that. But like beautiful well-written stuff that just so happen plays happens to play in a particular sandbox. Um I mean, I look at like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's like Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John Watson mm-hmm. and like what that's brought us, it's probably like the most written about dynamic ever and I think, well, Sherlock was a pretty killer canonized fanfic like why? Somebody else should do that. Um, well, what so makes think-
0: fanfic so great is that it's already an established IP, so the writer doesn't have to worry about creating the characters, creating a the universe. Yeah. They just can concentrate on the actual story.
1: Exactly. And, like, you know, when I wrote Earth 2, I was a young kid.
0: And you yeah. were concentrating on the story, trying to make it better.
1: Yeah. I was testing out different styles and, like, I didn't have to go... You know, it could be very overwhelming trying to world build, which I've already mentioned is super important to me. Like, you... You know, perfect is the enemy of done in that case. And I know, for me now, still, like, that can be a big barrier to me getting stuff out. Like, I write for myself and be it fanfic, be it uh, a host of other different uh, genres. But, you know, I want to try and play and just, like, use these characters that I already love and see them in different situations. And it's a great way for people who either didn't see a particular situation happen but know that if you put these two characters together, maybe that would happen, or just try out some new skills. You know, like, I think for all those reasons is why I did that fanfic in Earth 2 and why (laughs) I continue to still dabble, which... No one's ever going to read that Earth 2 fanfic because that is dead and buried, but I definitely still write when the mood strikes me, mostly for myself. And I think, honestly, that's the most important thing.
0: That is. Is there, we, we've already kind of discussed Marvel and you already briefly mentioned that you're a Supernatural fan, but is there any other fandoms that you're really passionate about?
1: Yeah. um, You know, there are some foundational fandoms that have been in my life forever. You know, like I mentioned, my parents were big nerds. So Star Wars and Star Trek, particularly um, The Next Generation, Lord of the Rings, anything Harlan Ellison had a hand in, Philip K. Dick, Lost in Space, Aliens, Outer Limits, that sort of thing. I still really geek out around those things, because it's like coming home and turning on a light and finding your room just like you found it after all these years. Mm-hmm. So especially things like Star Wars and Star Trek, like I have Star Wars sneakers and Star Trek sleeping you know, pajamas and you know that kind of stuff, it's just, it's kind of like a touchstone for me and almost like an indicator to other people when they see it, they're like, oh, I know exactly who you are and like the kind of childhood you had. Um, the sci-fi and fantasy of the 90s was really important part like time for me um because it was when I was no longer kind of the spectator fan and loving it because it was handed down to me by my parents Mm -hmm. Uh, I could probably name a million things that I was obsessed about back then that would make you grow now uh Sequest DSV anyone I actually like that show I loved it, and if someone, I remember my dad accidentally taped over an episode—the one with Shatner—I vividly remember this moment, and I cried for a day. I cried. It was like someone had like killed like a loved one. It was it was a dark time. Um, but you know, it's stuff that I loved at the time, but hasn't really stuck around. But the stuff that really had an impact were Harry. I think the three would be like Harry Potter, Buffy, and The X Files. Like. You know, nearly everybody I've met um, who considers themselves like a fan girl or fan boy, if you're going to use those terms, can point to something in like a fandom that was like elemental to them as, you know, in their growth as a person. Mm -hmm. And those three are probably it for me. You know, everybody has their like challenges growing up. And, you know, as a young woman, I had my challenging situations and those were like probably the anchors that I had. At different times in my life. And that was where I could draw parallels and strength from those characters. And that was pretty, you know, game changing for me in a bunch of different ways, either, you know, who I became, what kind of friend I became, you know, through what I learned at Harry Potter, what kind of woman I became from Buffy and X Files. You know, it's why I'm so passionate about how there is power in pop culture and like this particular medium. Um, Stuff that I'm nuts about now is obviously Marvel, <laughs> across all of the universes. Um, I read comic books. I'm really here for Avengers Bull right now, which is like the fluffiest cartoon in the entire world. If you need a palette cleanser to the darker tones of the MCU and like the 616, or the main universe in the comic books, I highly recommend that. I'm a long-term supernatural fan. I came in later in the game, but I never looked back because I think that's like really a community-based fandom, Mm -hmm. and it it's really based in this idea of family. Um, I religiously tune into the 100 um, on the CW, which I think is a really great example of like why a post-apocalyptic story is taking on some like real kind of brutal storylines, despite the age of its cast and demographic. Um, I really love Killjoys, which I'm catching up on now, which is kind of a great replacement for another show. I really loved Firefly and like super excited about getting into are like Star Trek Discovery, The Expanse, Winona Earp. But I'm open to recommendations. I just wish there were more hours in the day to watch all the stuff.
0: Yeah, there's so many shows I can't even keep up anymore. I know, right? What would you, you know, we talked a little bit about the negative in geek culture, but what would you say is one of your favorite parts about the geek culture?
1: Um, the people. Um, the community, I think people have really built this strong, kind of loving community for themselves around the things that they've loved. Obviously, there are elements of it that are non-inclusive or not safe or you know, but that's true. Human beings are messy and complicated mm-hmm. and so with all the good there is bad and that's fine because I wouldn't expect anything else. But, you know, I've seen that regardless of whether you're a shut in or the most popular person, your group fandom is kind of like this great equalizer. You can go to a con or go online and see someone who is more introverted and, suddenly talking someone's ear off about some theory they had on a show they love Um, you could see a celebrity like Stephen Colbert like just go off with his encyclopedic Tolkien knowledge you know I've seen fandoms like Supernatural for example use like their power for good you know creating spaces and spearheading advocacy and awareness for important causes like suicide prevention or mental health awareness. You know, I think we live in a world where people can be very lonely and fandom is a way to bridge that and be, you know, whether it's like an opening line to get to know someone when they go to an event or a coping mechanism for trauma that someone has lived through, fandom can and has helped people pull through and survive and thrive. You know, and I think that that's an incredible thing to witness and be a part of.
0: It is. It really is. Now that we've gotten to know you a little bit more, how can my audience find out a little bit more about you? Is there any social media that they could follow?
1: Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at Paloma F. So my name and F, which is the first initial, my last name, pretty simple. And then I'm on Instagram at SublimeRubbish. And that's basically where you can find all of me. I switch between nerdy stuff, travel, politics, culture, personal stuff, and pop culture. So um, that's all me all the time.
0: Well, awesome. So you said Paloma F for Twitter and...
1: Sublime, Sublime Rubbish. Sublime Rubbish. Yeah.
0: For Instagram.
1: Yeah. And that's my main handle for most things. So I'm pretty easy.
0: Sublime Rubbish. Mm-hmm. I guess that's going to be a story for another day. <laughs> <laughs> it is. So... Today, we wanted to talk a little bit about diversity in the geek world. And, you know, I'm glad that you're here to talk about this because I'm probably not the proper person to discuss this. <laughs> um, so one of the very first things I want to ask you is the industry can always do uh, do more and do better. Um, but where do you see the most inclusion f- with diversity?
1: Yeah, so... Um... You know, people have been calling for more diversity and entertainment and specifically in genre TV and film for ages. This is not a new thing. Um, but I think with the quantifiable successes of things like Black Panther and Wonder Woman and movements like Oscars So White, Cannes 50-50 in 2020 campaign and just increased publicity around Hollywood's whitewashing problem, we're definitely seeing more scrutiny about Ca- around casting decisions. Um, by and large, I think TV as a medium has definitely been th- more accessible and provided more opportunities for underrepresented minorities, women and a certain section of LGBTQIA characters, um, particularly over film. That's not a perfect statement. Of course, I don't want anybody to like, you know, say, you're not including all of these things. Yes, I I realize that this is a more general statement. That doesn't address a whole slew of identities that aren't being brought to the screen. Um, For example, I can't can only think of a few shows on the top of my head that have a main character with like a visible disability or someone who's gender non-binary. Um, so there's a lot of work to do there, but TV more so than film is a larger industry. It's audience is fundamentally more diverse because it's reaches just further than film. Correct. And there's, a power in that, like there's a financial power that has a very real effect in the kind of programming TV executives bring to the small screen. Um, and since there are more opportunities in TV and less risk financially um, with smaller budgets and production needs, we get to see more stories from more varied viewpoints. You know, it's an ongoing struggle. And I think the more people talk about it, bring it up um, and support those movements, using that kind of buying power to bring executives to bear things will move forward. Um, I'm not saying that we should only focus on TV um, or one particular medium over another, but I think that you know there is a very distinct difference in like the kind of inclusion and diversity that you see in one over the other. And we should just make sure that People are just championing stories across all mediums, regardless of what it is. Is
0: Is there is there anywhere in particular that if a Latina such as yourself or a person of color was looking to see themselves in media, what or where would you suggest they look?
1: Yeah, I have a teenage niece, so I um, have taken on this kind of family legacy of nerddom and kind of am the watcher, I guess, for for our particular family and try to guide her on this. And so this question weighs on me constantly because she looks to me for cues as to what to consume media wise. And she is a young woman and you know, this is a very important time for her. Mm -hmm. Um, So comics wise, you know, I think my first rec would be probably America by Gabby Rivera. Um, America, it features America Chavez who I cosplay. So obviously it's a little bit, you know, a little bit um, feeding into my own personal loves, but um, she is this super rad young queer Latina who goes by the moniker Miss America. Um, She's Marvel's first um, Latina queer character to star in an ongoing series. Mm -hmm. Um, You can also check her out in Young Avengers, which is where I first encountered her. Um, And there are a bunch of other, you know, you get Kate Bishop, you get... Uh, Loki, you get um, Hulkling, you get a bunch of characters on there that are, it's a pretty fun um, kind of entry into getting to know her. Okay. Um, so I recommend that. Um, I'm Puerto Rican, so I gotta rep uh, La Borinquenya, which is this original character by um, Edgardo Miranda Rodriguez, mm-hmm. and it centers around this young New Yorker, Marisol, whose power draws from the history of mysticism of the island of Puerto Rico. Okay. Um, They recently did this anthology with DC called Reconstruction to raise money for Puerto Rico's recovery efforts. So that featured Wonder Woman and Batman and Superman and all of these like, you know, DC powerhouses. Um, So I definitely recommend that. And that's, you know, got the bonus of helping you raise money for a really great cause. Um, A couple other characters... That should definitely be on your radar. Uh, you know, there's Riri Williams or uh, Ironheart, mm-hmm. who is this brilliant young black teen giving Tony Stark, uh, well, <laughs> a very good run for his money. Who might um, also
0: be getting a movie, I hear. They're, like yeah. are looking into it.
1: I am super excited and will likely, hopefully, take over his mantle. Um, I think we find her first in the Invincible Iron Man series. I think she's in number two. Mm -hmm. Um, There's Kamala Kamala Khan. I don't know why I always call her Kamala Kamala Khan um, in Ms. Marvel. She's the uh, Muslim-American teenager from New Jersey. Um she's actually really great because absent her background, she really is like representative of all of us. Like she is this like Greek chorus of the Marvel universe. She reads fanfic of her fellow superheroes. She's like the super ha- fan of Captain Marvel. I think they're also trying to bring her to I don't know if the small screen or the big screen, but they've been looking into it. And she's super funny. She's like so relatable. I just really love her. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other ones I would recommend are Valiance Faith comics by um I think it's Jody Hauser um who's a plus she just recently got picked up for Paloma. for some sort of production somewhere. Yep.
0: Start start back over with Faith. Yeah, did I lose Yeah, I broke up again. Oh
1: yeah. Okay. Um uh, there's also Valiant's Faith comics um by Jody I'm going to get this wrong Hauser Hoser, um, and she's a plus size superhero out of LA Uh, I've actually read
0: a couple issues of those that's a really good series
1: yeah and I think that she actually just recently got picked up for production as well Um, I think really recently that happened I don't quote me on that but I think that just happened Um, there's this is another recent read and it's bitch planet by Kelly Sue DeConnick
0: never heard of that
1: oh you really um so bitch planet is uh this feminist take on the exploitation film genre um it takes place in this world where non-compliant women are sent to this off-planet prison um it's amazing um Sounds it's really dark. provocative yeah i gave it to my niece it is oh, no. she's eighteen.
0: Oh, okay. Who,
1: She's eighteen. Um, it's definitely not. I would say eighteen is probably the youngest I would give. You know, like about that age is probably the youngest I would give it to. There is nudity in the comic. I mean, it kind of depends. My parents were pretty progressive, so as long as you're kind of talking to them about what's happening, it is definitely very. It's a. It's a bit of a brutal. It's like kind of like Furiosa, like Fury Road esque. Um world. And so, but I would be surprised if they don't do make a movie of this cuz it's actually incredible and Kelly Sue DeConnick in general writes amazing stuff. Like she wrote, like I said, the new Captain Marvel. She's written a bunch of other stuff, so um she's generally on fire. Um but yeah, I mean other characters, I mean Captain Marvel obviously, she's becoming a hot new thing. Miles Morales um as Spider-Man Blade, you know, Storm, the upcoming Princess Shuri series. I'm super excited about that. And on TV, you know, there's Star Trek Discovery. The Comic Con panel for Star Trek Discovery was one of the best uh, panels that I got to see. Only part of, unfortunately, but my friend Katie saw the whole thing and she was just like, she was like foaming at the mouth at how good it was. They're just so thoughtful about how they're dealing with a lot of the issues there, including issues of consent and relationships, about, you know, kind of using current political things and, you know, things about racially, you know, interracial relationships, all this other stuff as metaphors in their own mm-hmm. stories. Um, I think it's really, and they have such a diverse cast. It's it's so good. Um, so I really recommend that. Um, anything Rebecca Sugar does, so Steven Universe, is amazing, which is like a totally different, you know, like it's like a cartoon. It seems like it's for kids, but it's actually pretty consumable for adults. The 100 Black Lightning on CW. Someone told me to read Moonstruck by Grace Ellis today, um, which I don't know that much about, but they were talking about um, how it's a great kind of queer comic. Um, I could literally do this all day, so I'm just going to leave you with all those.
0: <laughs> well, W- with all that being mentioned, I mean, what has representation in comics, movies, television, whichever, w- what has that meant for you personally?
1: Um, yeah, I guess uh, I've been thinking about this, you know, as I mentioned, you know, I'm a light skinned kind of white passing Latina. So I've there have been a lot of characters. I I haven't struggled with finding kind of like light skinned characters to Emulate, you know. Yeah. I have privilege with that, and I I realize that. And so, I guess the where the stories really strike home for me. I would say our when a friend of mine who is a person of color, which is important to the context of the story, um, has a son who loves the Avengers and had dressed up as Captain America for the past two Halloweens. And like when Black Panther came out, it wasn't a movie, it was an event. Like our whole family got together, got dressed up, went to dinner a whole nine yards. She took her son with her and she says he watched with a sort of like hushed reverence. And I asked her what he thought of it because she, you know, we're both nerds and she knows how much you know, I love like I had been hyping this movie, I was like, You need to take him and I asked her what he thought of it and she said he was devastated and I was like, What? You know, like, what happened? What do you mean he was devastated? And he kept saying to her, like he didn't he didn't know. And that they didn't tell him. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And she said that he was so upset that he felt like the universe had been keeping this from him. This, like, important puzzle piece to his identity. Like, he'd been... He he loves Cap. He has no problem being Cap. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime. But, like, that there was this, you know, black... The strong black king, this, this, like, character that he could have been playing was devastating. Like he, he was just like, I need to order everything. Like I, like I need to know more. He, he just, it was like overwhelming to him and she was so struck by that and she felt guilty that she didn't, she couldn't, she didn't think to offer that to him. And I was like, Wow, you know, so she told me this in tears, basically, because earlier this year, we had had this heartbreaking moment when she was confessing to me about how she had basically removed hoodies from his wardrobe, because she had this fear of, you know, her child being shot, because he was wearing a hoodie while black, you know, like, this is the world we live in. And it's, it's something that she worries about, and that people worry about. And this is, it, it might be a small thing for other people. And it's a privilege for, for while being a person of color who's white passing, having a plethora of people that I can, you know, look to and kind of make work for me. Um, but for somebody who's never had that moment, that moment of like, wow, I'm not alone, that's huge. Like a kind, strong man and it's not like a, a thug or a criminal, like that matters. and it And when you see your friends kind of being affected by that, like that's like so huge for me, especially since my work is, you know, around that and that's like when i think about this question it's just like that is why i do the work that i do and why it matters for you know media to take this seriously
0: well are there any characters in comics movies and media that are important because of this the representation that we just spoke about
1: yeah so like i mentioned before you know i i have the privilege of not struggling with finding kind of that ability to be able to see myself in a lot of like white characters because I am lighter skinned, but uh, to be truthful, there aren't an incredible amount of Latinx characters in, really any of the sci-fi fantasy fandoms that I had a connection with growing up. Um, I think of like Belana Torres from Star Trek or Voyager. Um, but honestly, that wasn't a huge cultural connection because she's the, an alien. <laughs> so it wasn't <laughs> like, she didn't get me, you know, and I didn't get her. But I think really when I think about who has been important to me, I think about female characters and like where that's, like who has had the most powerful impact on who i am today is probably gonna come as no shock because sci-fi just wrote an article about it recently but i i I definitely experienced the dana scully effect like i was 10 when the x-files started so to say that i watched this show during my formative years is probably a little bit of an understatement but like she was my first real taste of a woman being unapologetically the smartest person in the room. She was a skeptic. She was the brains before the beauty even though she was quite beautiful. She was stalwart and brilliant and loyal and not the love interest though they made her the love interest much later. Um, and I was obsessed. Like and that was probably my very first experience as well with that side of the phantom. Um, I got so deep that you know, I was barely a teenager and wearing trench coats and work separates, <laughs> and voraciously <laughs> consuming anything that mentioned they mentioned on the show. Whoop, everything they mentioned on the show, from scientific, you know, studies to the unexplained, and I definitely decided at that moment unequivocally that I was going to go to the FBI and I was going to be a behavioral psychologist and a scientist and no one was going to stop me. Um, and it's a path that I pursued to the wheels fell off, honestly, post nine 11, when my mom fell ill and, you know, eventually passed away and life just kind of got, involved you know as it does and i have a psychology degree and i have internships with criminologists under my belt and you know i said goodbye to that life and i pursued a different kind of path working with people and organizational behavior Mm. but i never stop crediting her and that character as being part of that spark that brought science and curiosity into my life and i think and i know many women who feel that same and they've done many scientific studies about how a a lot of women who kind of were at that formative age, I think they say that like, I'm not going to even say the statistic because it's it's probably not even right, but like some significant amount, more than 50% can trace her influence back to being why they went into STEM. So again, that kind of representation is incredibly powerful.
0: That's amazing. That's awesome. That really is. Um, you, You know, you don't ever really think You know, I don't me growing up I had characters like Luke Skywalker and all that stuff that I like I loved and all that stuff, but you know, they didn't have a job that I wanted to fall into. So you don't ever think Mm -hmm. about shows like this that people want to emulate and, you know, pursue careers after. So it's really great to hear something about, you know, Yeah. Where do you see the industry in five to ten years in regards to to diversity? Do you do you see improvement? Do you see us maybe staying stagnant?
1: You know So I'm going to be an optimist about this. And I think that it's really important to have these conversations from these geek podcasts to kind of the bigger audiences at Comic-Con or, you know, in our government and, you know, wider audiences beyond that. But, you know, I think that movies, you know, what I see hopefully in the future are movies with representation across all dimensions from physical ability and gender and size and racial background, genre films where the cast's, you know, ethnic makeup is like the least interesting thing about it. And I'd love to see stories, especially that aren't labeled, you know, kind of like quote unquote that, you know, Latinx superhero movie or that Asian love story, um, And I'd love to see characters who are intersectional because we humans are, like I said, complex, messy, and multifaceted, and often diverse, you know, movies are focused on, like, one thing. Mm -hmm. Like, an all-female remake remake, or an all-black cast. And there are plenty of people who are a person of color and queer and an army veteran. Um, And I think that, like, I'd really like us to move towards new stories and not just remakes of old ones. You know, I get why that's a gateway to getting more, you know, people of color underrepresented minorities or like, you know, queer people in front of the camera. But I'd love to see, You know, I'd love to see more women as unrepentant villains or more leading men as, like, soft, strong heroes with female best friends they don't want to sleep with. You know, I'd love to see a movie that there's no romantic story in sight or, like, a movie where there's a leading character with a visible disability that isn't the main focus of the story but part of a larger tapestry of, like, what makes this person a person. You know, stuff that's, like, new and not just a rehash just because, oh... You know, we'll just do that story again, but we'll just switch out, you know, the main person for, like, a black woman. You know, I'm looking at you, Buffy. You know, it's just like, you know, there's just, I want there to be space and support for stories to be told from the people who are its guardians and keepers. And I think, you know, when you have a real stake in the who and the how, and you're given the tools to run with it, like, you get to see something really special. Um, You know, I think... This is cheesy, but like, you know, in Doctor Who, it's like we're all stories in the end. And I think that that's ultimately what we just want to have. We just want to hear people's stories. And, you know, that's what I want to hear. And I don't want to be I don't want to be about anything else but that.
0: Well, Paloma, I think you just gave us a lot to think about and digest in this episode. Um, Can you please tell my audience one more time how to find you so they can maybe continue this conversation with you?
1: Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Paloma F or on Instagram at Sublime Rubbish.
0: Well, I want to thank you very much for joining me on today's episode. I, you know, again, we covered a lot of stuff and I, 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 it's, it's a good conversation. We need to have it.
1: Yes. Thank you for having it with me.
0: I appreciate it. <laughs> Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of the temple of geek podcast if you have any questions or comments feel free to hit us up on facebook and twitter by using the handle temple of geek do you want to check out some of our other episodes or shows why don't you head over to temple of dot com there you'll find all sorts of content that pertains to the world of geek thank you for joining us on this episode i've been daniel i've been paloma and we'll see you next time